start. You guys doing all right tonight? Everybody okay? Yeah, I'm a little sleepy, so you might need to help me with your singing, right? Can you handle that? I don't know. I'm looking at you guys, and you're looking like me feeling. <laughs> well, all right, it's hump day. All right, let's stand up. We'll sing together. His name is wonderful is what we'll start with. 811. If you want to use the hymnal, 811. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful. There is a Redeemer. merciful Savior. the one 
God's always hunger for. Almighty, infinite Father, faithfully loving your own, here in our weakness you find us falling before your throne. Oh, we're falling before your throne. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger One, you may have remembered that I was supposed to be out of town tonight with the interns, but uh, with the situation with Dad, um, he was taking a pretty bad turn on Sunday, we thought, and uh, so decided to just to do a Skype meeting with uh, Mia and Josh and their uh, TNT group, and they got them got their first TNT into tonight, so that was exciting. We're excited about that. Um, the uh, Dad, on the other hand, has kind of taken back to turn back up, and so he's actually... I mean, he's not responding physically as far as like he's not uh, talking and opening his eyes, uh, but his heartbeat's still good, his blood pressure's good, uh, so right now we're just, you know, he's in the Lord's hands, he hasn't eaten or drunk anything for about six days, and I know people say, well, why don't you put a feeding tube in that's been done, he pulled it out, and, and they can't just keep going back in the messes up with the esophagus. They can't do the one that they cut him open because they don't think he could endure it. So anyway, um, here's where we are. So he's, but we're all fine. We're just trusting the Lord with, with his situation. So that's, give you that update. Um, we have had, uh, we had three more that we were able to talk to last night from TNT. No decisions, but there's, you know, the first time visitors and they're, they're definitely in need of the Lord and so good opportunities to talk, and we are so thankful for the teenagers that are bringing visitors out. That's fantastic. I'll share this with you. I'd ask uh, Captain Bly if he would just take the, the day and the night because I was going to be out of town, so he'll still, he'll still uh, be taking the, the teaching time in just a moment. But I want to share this with you. This is, uh, if you uh, remember Don and Hannah Cooper, then their dad, Hannah's dad, is their pastor, and uh, we got a letter from Don and Hannah and from the pastor. It says, as, as pastor of Trinity uh, Baptist Church in Scottsburg, Indiana, on behalf of the church congregation, it is needful for Don and Hannah Cooper to pause their deputation efforts at this time. Don and Hannah have served and labored tirelessly since March of 2022 to raise support toward their calling of ministry in, in the country of Hungary. As their pastor and sending church, we observe that there are areas which need strengthened in their lives before they continue the deputation process, or deputation ministry, I'm sorry. Uh, I would like to set your minds at ease that the Coopers are not taking part in any rebellion or other sinful lifestyle. They simply need to make more effort to mature as believers before continuing to fulfill their missionary calling. Don's gonna return back to his full-time job that he had before. Uh, so just kind of giving you an update on what's going on and and uh, just continue to pray for the Coopers, and uh, we'll kind of go from there, as giving you updates as much as we know them. Captain Bly is going to come and take it from here. Felt uncomfortable, not. Okay. All right. There we go. Yeah, we know. Now we're here. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. 
and then turn this one off. Oh, now he's going to say All right. Jewelry on in the morning. <laughs> so we'll put this back down. Um, so, um, and, and I, I mentioned this to Devin a while ago. Uh, when I when we got into this, and I started thinking about what's going on, and um, this whole process that I've gone through over the last several months, the cataracts and then the first knee surgery and then this idea of a second knee surgery coming up, um, what immediately clicked in my mind is that God has a way of maturing a man. And uh, I've, I've looked at this whole surgical process that I've been going through as a, a new phase in the journey of growing in manliness growing into a man. Um, and, and obviously, for all of us men, um, we only pass an age once. And so I've never been 75 before, and I've never had these kinds of things. So, so there's, a lot of, there's always a lot more to learn in terms of growing in my, in my relationship with, with the Lord and, and learning um, how to respond to some of these circumstances, um, which are different um, and, and, yet, and very challenging. And so, um, and then as, I, as I was wrestling with this, I decided to, to, to step back and to review for myself, but then also to, to reflect and review on um, a good bit of what Dave, had, Dave Young talked to us about during the revival. And so the title of this, this I'll call it a talk, a discussion um, this evening, Are You Really Ready to Thrive in, in Every Area of Life? At Any Age in Which You Might Be. Right? And that's kind of the part that, 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 that fits me because I've been looking at this and going, wow, what, how does this go? And um, Ginger and the kids and Brenda can tell you it's been up and down, you know, just to be totally candid. Um, it has been a good struggle, though, because there are some things that, that I've learned about myself. There are some things that I've learned um, in terms of just my interactions and how to deal with mornings that you just go, I can't make this knee move and then having to, get, to go through the process to get it. And then how do you, how do you process that um, mentally, spiritually, intellectually, and then, of course, physically? And as, as we go, think back to um, Dave's revival messages from First Peter, um, there was a whole series of things. That whole week was amazing from my perspective. I'm going to First Corinthians, not to, not to First Peter, but... Uh, because I need to have that open in a minute. Um, so you remember, um, what he was focusing on is God's desire that we would thrive as a, as a comprehensive attitude of, or disposition of life. And he said, it, and to do so, you need to know, grow, sow, glow, and follow. And as a result, there would be a vibrant, mature, holistic Christian character that comes out of this. <clears throat> and, and so... I'm certainly not going to try to recite, repeat, whatever, what, what he went through, but just think through this question. Are you thriving more spiritually today than, than where you were at the beginning of the revival messages? Has there been more knowledge, more growth, more sowing, more glowing, more you know, following, etc.? And then um, through through a set of circumstances, I wasn't able to be here the Sunday morning that David actually did the men's session. And I was just, I've been, I've been itching to hear what he actually had to say. I had the outline, but I just, I wanted, I was itching to hear what he actually said and finally got, got a chance to see it or to, re, to, to listen to it. And in that context, um, Dave challenged the men, and this is a, a pretty pointed statement. He, 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 he challenged the men to act like men. Exclamation point, exclamation point. And you know how he sort of, he, he verbally, you know, stomps his foot and when he's trying to make a point. Uh, and that, 
that, that was all what he, he pulled out of 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. <clears throat> and as I, as I thought about that, and I've been wrestling with this, and I've been kind of trying to put it into perspective from my own perspective, so that, that it, it, it fits together with a, a lot of what I've learned over the years about what does it mean to be a Christian. And, and one of the early things I learned is that as we take a look at all of the books of humanity, and, and being the reader that I am, I've read across the spectrum of, of options in terms of what to read and, and so forth. Um, some of it was boring, some of it was exciting, some of it was just plain trash, to be quite honest. But um, it, as I, as I, at the same time as I was reading my Bible, what I realized was this. Our Bible was revealed to us in a most unusual manner. No other book has been revealed to, to mankind in the way in which the scriptures have been. Um, the 66 books in our Bible represent what Paul, Paul in, uh, in Acts 20, 27, he describes it as, as all, or the whole, counsel of God. 100% of it. Nothing missing. And in, in, in the back of my mind, what I, what I was thinking is that, well, that means that that's the re- one of the reasons why we can thrive, because we have everything that we need to thrive. There's nothing missing. Uh, there's, and then Peter, using a different metaphor in 2 Peter 1, 3, 2, describes this, this body of material, literature, etc., as all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And we've heard Pastor talk about this passage and others, and it's, you know, of, of all the words that, that we find in Scripture, any time that we see the word all, stand by to stand by, because all means all, and all doesn't mean anything less than all. And so if we have everything that we need um, that pertains unto life and godliness, that means, therefore, we can fully thrive because we have everything necessary to be able to be successful in that, in that, that, that activity. There is nothing missing that we who are Christians need to thrive in all areas of our life. Nothing. And, and any place where we're, any time, any place when we're not thriving... We can't say, God, it's your fault. No, it's our fault because we haven't, we haven't taken what God has given us and, and put it to use so that we, we can become that thriving uh, believer. Uh, the inspiration of the re- revealed text of Scripture could be described in, an, in a little bit different way as a recording of a historical journal. And this is, this is how I see the Scriptures. Um, when it is review, viewed this way, each paragraph, chapter, book becomes a series, part of a series of building blocks. And, and I can remember when, when Brenda and I were dating, and uh, I, I decided, I was unsaved at the time, but I decided that I was going to find out what this Bible thing is that, that all these Christians speak so highly of and, and supposedly live by, and they carry them everywhere they go, and, and so forth and so on. And, and what I did was I read the Bible just like I would any other book. I read all the introductory material and then read it straight on from Genesis to Revelation over the course of a couple of months. And I was asking the question, does the Bible hold water on its own? Does it need anybody else's interpretation, anybody else's explanations, anybody else's anything else? And I realized it doesn't. It, it's, it's all there. Um, and so as we, as we think about this, as I thought about this, the Bible is, is the recording of didactic teachings, prophetic utterances, and a chronology. And, and this is the part that for me was most surprising, but also most encouraging. And the longer I've, I've, I've been a believer, the more I, I realize the importance of this, because it makes it real. And so what, what we have in terms of our Bible is a chronology of uncensored, Real human vignettes with all the positive and the negatives, all the good and the bad included. There, there's no sanitizing of the lives of the people that, that, were, that we read about in our Bibles. And that's extremely important because it tells, and in, in, in that context we see this uncensored real-life scenario and we see God and people over and over again throughout the entire scriptures. So this... On top of it, then, this journal begins with a profound foreword introduction. In the beginning, God. The remainder of the Bible builds sequentially from that point on. And without that, without that cornerstone, you, you would wonder where, it would, where would you start it? 
But by, by, by virtue of the fact that we have that, that beginning statement, in the beginning God, you'll stop and you'll think and say, okay, well, I guess that's where I'm going to start. So as we move forward from Genesis, all the way through to the last, ver- last verse in the book of Revelation, there are many, too many to count, thoughts, reminders, instructions, many biographies that are all weaved together to create a marvelous tapestry. <clears throat> now, have you ever looked at the tapestry, a tapestry on the backside? Turn it over. What does it look like? It doesn't have a picture, but you see all these threads that, that, that are going along, and all of a sudden it goes forward into the front of the picture. And it's used, and then it comes back out, and then you, you can follow it again. And you see, and you see these threads um, that, are, that are an important and an essential aspect of what's, what's going on in the front that we can see. And why is that important? Well, following the threads is the essence of Bible study. Um, learning to be able to go forward and backwards and follow the thread through to where it, 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 is, it is either um, shows up next, it has relevance in terms of another situation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And there's just a whole lot of things that you, that you walk through as you do this. And it's how do we learn, what, learn and to understand what I would call the wit and wisdom of God. When I read the scriptures, you see the wit of God throughout the Bible, and you see his wisdom, and it's explained and it's, it's visualized in, in, in many different ways and forms, and, it, and it, it brings us right into that personal relationship with him, and, and, and that's helpful. So some of the threads begin in the earliest chapters of Genesis, uh, then they track in the background emerge in unusual places, returning to the background, then re-emerging later on, uh, often in perplexing settings and context. But this should not surprise us. Why? Because God is the single ultimate author of our Bibles. Right? Yes, there were authors, but God is the author of the authoring process. And, and so he's seeing the, the whole picture from... We say from Genesis to Revelation, I would say from eternity past to eternity future, as he laid out our Bibles. And, and that's extremely important for us if we're going to try to figure out what to expect, what to anticipate um, in terms of this process that he's taking us all through. As I would say, that for me, the journey to full masculinity, which is an ongoing process, it's an ongoing activity that God's going to take me through through the rest of my life um, regardless of what age, you know, God says it's time for you to go home. You know? um, when we accept this perspective, we, f- we find that asking the question, where does this thread begin, opens up our eyes to a new understanding and new understandings. All right? Because we're, we're asking the question, how does this thread through, how does this, um, this idea, whatever it might be, influence the, the reality of the future of things that we need to understand in the scriptures. Um, we, go, we go back further and further as we, as we pick up a thread and then we start to figure out where is it going. Uh, we find additional con- connections and usually learn more about the mind of God, uh, something he chose to reveal him, about himself to us. In some cases, the, the thread leads all the way back to Genesis. In some cases, it does not. Um, some begin much later. And here in a minute or two, we're going we're to look at a thread that emerges early in the life of, of Christ. <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's an, a very important one as we think about what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century. Before we look at Christ, let's turn, turn our attention back to, to 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 13, um, where day, day, or Paul says um, the following words, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, Quit you like men, be strong. But here's the question. What is the context of 1 Corinthians 16, 13? Well, it's the end of the book. It's a set of salutary exhortations. Uh, and this is not to be expected at the end, unexpected at the end of a letter. However, under most circumstances, there's a larger context. And you, so you're, you're kind of searching for what is the, what is the bigger context in which, why, and, and why is this, this important? And what's the thread... What thread do we need to draw back through to, uh, to to find out a little bit more about that and to understand what, what Paul is actually saying to the Corinthians at this particular point? 
Um, so as we start uh, digging backwards, let's remind ourselves of the four goals that Dave identified. He said, every man ought to be on guard. Every man ought to stand fast in the faith. Every man ought to show himself a Christian man. And every man ought to be, be strong. But David began, Dave began and, and ended his discussion of this by asking a question. What should be in every man's spiritual bucket list? What should be on every man's spiritual bucket list? Sometimes we use the word bucket, and I think about in, but when we talk about a bucket list, it's on. And you know, our, 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 our preposition sometimes can, at least in my mind, it, it trips me up. I said, why can't this be simple? But that's the English language. So in the 21st century, we must ask a deeper and more provocative question. Uh, the, quit, the, the phrase, quit you like men, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, is almost unexplainable in, in modern English uh, because of the change of the usage of words uh, since, since the 1600s. Today, a far more explicit translation would be, as I said previously, act like men, right? Uh, and which, is, which has an implied opposite, and the implied opposite is stop acting like little boys. And so we see now we have the full explanation from, from God's perspective uh, in terms of understanding this. However, because of the plethora of terms that are used today, we must ask, what is a man? This is the first time in human history that, that, that society, culture has to ask that question. Um, nobody would have thought about asking a question, what's a man? in 1917 or 1940 when we were going into World War I and World War II. We knew who the men were. There was no question about it. And, and men, men acted like men um, and, and so forth. But today we have to plow through the following list, and this is just a partial list. Uh, man, male, adult male, biological male, mannish, masculine, macho, dude, adolescent male, etc. And the list goes on and on. And unfortunately, in our colloquial vocabulary, these words are all used as virtual synonyms. Well, unfortunately, with a lot of things in the English language, they become meaningless, watered-down synonyms. And so you use any one of them, and nobody knows what you mean. Um, now, I, the, the beauty of, of coming to the Scriptures and coming to a book that's been written by a God who, who was... Um, present before eternity began, or, and he's going to be here in, into eternity future, however you want to figure out that time chronology. I'm not the one, going to be the one to try to figure that one out. All I know is he was there before, and he's going to be there after, in terms of everything that we know. And I just have to say, okay, fine. You know, and uh, that beats my ability to comprehend anything, really, or to, to understand where I'm going. But, so here's, here's where we go. Fortunately, God did not leave us wondering about what he means he gave us an antithesis, and this is where the, the thread starts to go backwards. Uh, that still works. So turn back to 1 Corinthians 13 and 11. So here, what we find is, a, is another verse that's, that's seemingly, in my mind at least, I viewed it as out of place. And in 1 Corinthians 13 11, it says, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Ah, I now know what a man is. A man is a male who put away his childhood. Put away the childish things. They're no longer a part of his life. God is saying that real men are not childish in speech, understanding, thought, and behavior. They put away childish things. Uh, even a quick look at the American culture draws one to the conclusion that childishness and perpetual adolescence characterizes most of the American males of all ages today. And that's a sad commentary, but that, all the literature that I've been reading for the last 50-some years draws you to the same conclusion. It's just gotten worse and 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 worse. Um, the data behind it is, 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 is voluminous. <clears throat> so in some respects, this verse seems to be out of place, however, as I take a look at it in the Bible, all right? at least from my perspective. It caused me to stop and ask, why is this verse here? Think about this. It's in the middle of a discussion of the Lord's Supper, diversity of gifts, the love chapter, prophecy in tongues, and the resurrection. 
and you, and, you, and you think back through, what does he say? He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Smack dab in the middle of this amazing and major um, theological section of the book of 1 Corinthians. At first glance, I couldn't figure this out. I began searching for other verses that address the problem of childish adults and childish minds and childish behaviors. The short answer is childishness produces childish doctrine, teaching, and applications. Think through the areas of the Christian life surrounding this verse. Think through what you've experienced or you've read or you've observed over the last 50 to 75 years as it relates to doctrine and the development of doctrines and, and ideas and so forth that, that are prevalent within Christianity. And when you, when you start to unpack that, and I can't even begin to, 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 you know, to scratch the surface on that, but of, of, of all of the things that have that are been gone off the rails theologically over the last 50 to 75 years, and it, co- it goes back actually further than that to the, excuse me, to the late 1800s, and it just, it's been like a, um, a, fr- a freight train that's just being stoked like crazy, and it's picking up speed and it's picking up speed and picking up speed. And, and, so, and a lot of those things are, are basically put together by childish individuals now, that may seem like a harsh statement, but think about how children think. And when you read some of this theological stuff, you go, that doesn't make any sense. And I could, I could continue. So I'm not going to go down that road because I, we don't want to be here until midnight, um, if we were fortunate. So, but let's go back to 1 Corinthians 16, 13 for a second um, and Dave's four priorities and goals. We should fully expect, okay, if you looked at, listen to those four goals, we should fully expect that childish men will have childish goals and priorities. But they are not men after God's own heart either because they do not keep that which God has commanded. Their hearts are characterized by disobedience and cultural or secular Christianity because secular Christianity is an illustration of this childishness that has developed, that doesn't have a seriousness associated with it, and it's not, a, it's not committed to you know, having a heart after you know, God's own heart. Then, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take the thread, if you will, so we kind of weaved it back from 1 Corinthians 16 to 13, and now I, I want to weave it back even further to another, another event in, in biblical history. And, and I'm going to begin by asking a question. How many of you know, without looking at your Bibles, what Luke 2.52 says or speaks about? Pardon? Yes, okay, great, Matt. I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, and so it states, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and men. Think about that. That's an amazing accolade. Increased in wisdom and stature results in being in favor first with God and then with men. And the order and sequence of words becomes very important. He could have flipped it backwards and said, favor with man and God. But that would tell a different story. That would be entirely different. So this accolade could be considered to be a stake in the ground. It's a a place where you tie a knot um, of this thread of, of what does it mean to be a man? Uh, it is fitting, a fitting starting place to, to build a comprehensive, comprehensive picture of what it means to be a man after God's own heart. What that looks like... Fingers. What it looks like and how he acts. So as we think about this, okay, we need to remember some things that just pithy thoughts that, that help us to think about this. Now, as Christ was growing in stature and, and so forth and in favor, um, one of the things that we could pretty well say with, with certainty is this. Who you saw with Jesus is who he was. Right? There was no charade I mean, with who Jesus was. And so, but as we take a look at this, we need to remember the visible you, the visible me, is known to you and me. But the real you, the real me, is known by God. 
And the question we always have to ask ourselves, the, the examination that we have to put ourselves through is, is there any difference between what God knows and what everybody else knows, whether it's at home, at work, at church, whatever, and if there's any disparity between the two of them, you've got to ask yourself some tougher questions, and we're going to get to some of those here in a few minutes. But in this passage, um, in Luke 2.52, notice what is not mentioned is this. It doesn't say that Jesus increased in knowledge and worldly position or affluence. Those are, what the thing, those are the things that the world chases after. That's the rat race of the world. And so the question becomes at this point, from this particular point in Scripture, is, is, is increasing in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man on your bucket list? Objectively written, stated clearly, so that you look at it, when you think about your bucket list on a daily basis, you say, this is, this is on my bucket list. And, and I would argue that, and I'm not there yet, so I'm not, you know, I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody. And, and going through this process that I've been going through has, has forced me to ask some of these tougher questions. If I had increasing in wisdom, increasing in stature, and increasing in, in the favor with God and man on my bucket list, I'm not sure I would have time for much of anything else because of the significance of the effort that, that it takes to do this. There are, there are four other terms that describe Jesus. Um, they are, he's the lover of the church, Ephesians 5.25. And if there's, a, if there's a passage in the New Testament that, from my perspective, is the most challenging um, I'll just leave it there as it relates to who I am and what I'm doing it's Ephesians 5.25 when the instruction is given to men love your wife as Christ loved the church and I would argue that if we really knew what that really meant our marriages, our families, our church would be radically changing because there's a set of behaviors that are associated with that, that that basically are childish and we need to put off, etc. But but associated with this are also three other terms. He's the prophet, priest, and king. Now, um, and these are also terms for a man who thinks he is a Christian man, husband, father, etc. And a spiritual man after God's own heart. And Paul exhorts us in Philippians chapter 2. So I, as you think about it, as I'm, as I'm moving around... Think about the threading about how God takes these ideas and puts them together to build this, this, this composite idea of, of what he wants us to be looking like as men. Um, Paul exhorts us to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that means we, we have the mind of Christ as it relates to loving our wives as, as, as he loved the church. And remember that one of the, the more vivid moments in the history of Christ was, was at the Lord's Supper when he did what? He washed the disciples' feet. Now, in that society, in that culture, there's not anything that's much lower on the totem pole of things to do than washing the feet of others. And, and yet that's exactly what he did. <clears throat> so Jesus, as the lover of the church, is the epitome of an unselfish servant. So... And, and here are some questions. How many men are unselfish servants in their homes and in the other areas of their lives? And, and to, to, to make this even more pointed, how many wives and kids would say, my husband, my dad, is an unselfish servant at home? That, that's, a, that's a pretty tough question. And I've, I've, asked myself this, I've asked myself this question many years ago. I've not been successful completely, but I, I'm hoping I'm better at it than I was when I came to know the Lord 50-some years ago. Jesus is also depicted as the, as the prophet, priest, and king, as I said earlier. Each of these terms describe aspects of Christ's relationship to the individual members of the church. And, and, and so these are not positional terms. Prophet, priest, and king... That's not positional, but 
if we, if we look at the scriptures in a more reflective manner, they indicate that Jesus acts them out, acts them out in, in a relationship. He is the personal prophet, the personal priest, the personal king in, in people's lives. In, in, a, in a way that just completely shatters the, the, the average individual's, secular individual's perspective. And again, Jesus sets the example. So let's, let's transition this for a second into, into some, some present day, um, you know, where, where the rubber meets the road in our own lives. As a husband, I, we, are anointed to be the family prophet. We represent God to our wife and to, to the family. We provide biblical instruction and training for your wife and children without being legalistic. We prepare family devotions and encourage private devotions. We are the arbiter of family, family values. We insist on regular church attendance. We are the messenger of God to our family. So we have a prophetic responsibility as men um, to, to, to pull off. As a husband, we, anoint, we are anointed to be the family priest. Um, we represent our children and, and our wife and children to God. We spend time in prayer each day, remembering the needs and concerns of our wife and, and the salvation of our children. We set, set the spiritual temperament in our home. We sacrifice our love for the, our lives for them. Um, we are the mediator of God to our family. As a husband, we are we are to we are anointed to be the family king. Now, in the 21st century. All the men go, hooray, finally, I get to be the king, right? No, not at all. We provide the needs for our, our family. We work diligently to earn enough money for food and, food and shelter. Notice, this is not to provide every want. I'll come back to that in a minute. We're the administrator of, of discipline with fairness. We quickly forgive and, and overlook offenses, and we seek to forgive others when we blow it. Um, I've said this, and I'm going to say it publicly. Um, I've said it publicly before. But um, I, I cannot thank our three daughters sufficiently. Um, they were the test cases that I, that I worked on, all right? And, and I will tell you, one of the most humbling and significant moments in my life was when I, and I can't remember which one of the girls it was because it seemed like it was happening all the time, uh, when they were at the toddlers, and I said, Sweetheart, I need to ask your forgiveness for, specifically, where I blew it, right? And, and why did I say that? Why would I do that? Because that's exactly what Christ did. You know, he forgave. He, asked, he didn't have to ask for forgiveness. But he went and, you know, forgiveness was a, a, an aspect of who Christ is. And, and he said, you want to get forgiven? Get busy with forgiving. And, and when I first came across that as a young Christian, I said, oh my goodness, get off your high horse, boy, and, and start you know, being willing to seek forgiveness from those that, where you blew it. And you just be, be honest and candid. We act in a manner that is worthy of receiving honor. And uh, after 40-some years in, in the military, and honor is incredibly important and respect is incredibly important, um, I could literally, by name, go through um, the men that I served with, served under, and I can tell you the men who I respected their position, and I could salute their position, but I would never salute the man because he was not worthy of respect. Respect is earned, not commanded, demanded, or required. And, and you look at the life of Jesus, I mean... Was he, is, is he, was he worthy of honor? Is he worthy of respect? I think so. So in this, in this last issue of, of uh, being the family king, um, we are to treat our wives with consideration and respect. We are to, to, to careful not to be harsh with her. Um, and Brenda, bless her heart, she's had to work with me through that over the years, and I, I hope I'm not as harsh as what I used to be, sweetheart. In my mind, I, I think I'm there, but I, I have this, just this gut fear that it's not as I think it should be. So, uh, just being candid with you. you know, we're the provider of our family. So, back to the thread, all right? Uh, that thread that we've been pacing, uh, chasing, actually threads all the way back to, for, to David, 
uh, in 1 Samuel 13, 14. And, and finally, it, 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 it threads all the way back to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Now, Dave made a very profound comment about Adam. And I can't remember if, if it was in the, the Sunday session, the Sunday morning session, or it was one of his other sessions. Anybody remember the, the phrase that he used to describe Adam and why, it became, why it's important for us to see Adam as he really was in terms of this whole issue that we're dealing with? He called it the Adam complex. And, he, and I'm not going to try to pull all of it together, but you know, one of the things he said, he didn't run to the problem, he just stood still. And what, what Adam should have done was stood between Satan and Eve and gotten in the, in the mix of things. And, you know, if Adam had, had done that, we can only surmise, but obviously the Adam that we have in the Bible is important for us because he becomes the example for us, but not in always the positive example of what a man should be in terms of his relationship with his wife. So, um, and he go, David goes through a, a, a longer explanation of that, but I, I, that keeps coming through in my mind, and I ask myself the question, um, to what extent does the Adam complex characterize my life? Yeah, yeah there are a lot of ouches. Um, so after, after chasing the thread backwards and then turning around, which is what I always have loved to do, is to go back and, okay, now let's go back and look at this thing in, in sequential order because I want it in building block order, right? Um, so I retrace my steps, and I, then when my eyes, were, my, my eyes were open, I'm watching these threads, and I'm seeing threads that intersect, and then they go off in a different direction. And there's this one, and there's that one. And, and some of those threads lead to what I would call dead ends, but it's not a dead end. What it is, it's a gold mine, because some of them take you someplace, and, and it's just a rich, rich body of material that gives us so much more insight into so many other things. And I have to just say at this point, that's for another day. We can't begin to, to unpack that one. <clears throat> so, what is on your bucket list? Do the spiritual items outweigh the secular options? If any of us yearn to be a believer after God's own heart, one of the first things we need to do is to examine our bucket lists. Even if there are only a few items on it, do, you, do, you, do they contribute to growing in Christ, developing a heart after the, after the Lord, or are they the childish things that need to be put away? So as we think about this, and as, I, as I've walked through this, this set of verses and these set of circumstances that we find, um, they've kind of tossed at us, and he, he, he left them, for me at least, unconnected. And so as we, as we take a look at this, um, over the past 75 years, <clears throat> there are three things that have, that have cropped up um, in, in the United States in particular, although it's, it's now pretty much going global, um, wherever Christianity happens to have an influence. There are three values that have become most important to many, many Christians, and most all of those who live in secular society. The first one is worldly peace, and that's very different than biblical peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Affluence, which is another, which has the synonym of want, and then cultural, cultural Christianity. Um, and all of this has seeped into the life of the church and its individual members. It's something that we either are aware of or not aware of, but we need to, to, to take a careful look at. As you examine your bucket list this evening, tonight, tomorrow, ask yourself this question. Is worldly peace affluence and secular Christianity what drives the decision to put something on your bucket list? Or is biblical peace need, which leads to giving, and biblical Christianity driving your bucket list selection priorities?
And as we, as we think about this, unless we've examined this, it's virtually impossible to, leave, to lead a life, to live a life that's going to thrive, as Dave laid it out. And, and, and in, in fact, if, if we haven't taken a serious look at this, those four goals or priorities and, and almost everything that he talked about in, in each of those messages that he gave to you, we're just going to have to kick out the door because they're not relevant because we're not willing to cut to the chase, speak the truth to ourselves, and to, to actually scrutinize where our bucket list is, what it is, what's on it, where is it leading me, etc. So I leave you with that thought, and that is, what is on your spiritual bucket list? Let's pray. Father, the exciting part about what we just talked about and what Dave shared with us at the revival and the men on, on Sunday morning is that you've given us everything, every piece of information that we could possibly need to lead lives, live lives, that is, as men, that we can be the lover of the family. We can be prophet, priest, and king. We can be all of these things because you've given us the principles, the ideas, the, the, the insights that we need in order to be fully successful. But as, as, as Paul and as, as Peter and others have laid out for us, in order to get there, we have to put away childish things. We need to put off. We need to be putting away uh, the things that are, that are inhibiting our ability to, be, to become the Christians that you want each one of us to be and to be fully engaged in, in, in the work of the ministry um, in all the areas that you, you place us on a daily basis. And Father, we're thankful for your goodness to us. Thank you for a, a comprehensive and complete set of instructions that you've written in ways that we fully can understand. And we're thankful for all these things. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Sunday is the, it's, this is 4th of July weekend, and so we are planning to have fireworks and to cook out and stuff after the church Sunday night, church service Sunday night. That all being said, uh, Mel's family asked if we would consider doing what like we did for Mel's mom uh, on a Sunday night if dad happens to pass in time for that to happen, and I told them. We're having fireworks after. If you don't mind celebrating Dad's home going with fireworks, that's fine. Uh, we might do that. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Uh, right now I'm going to say no because Dad seems to be going along pretty strong. But anyway, so what we'll do is the, the uh, church will provide the meat and the drinks if you guys can bring the uh, stuff to go along with it afterwards. So afterwards we'll eat, and you can't do fireworks to about 9.15, 9.30. It's got to be dark. So it kind of does cut down on who and who can stay and will stay. But anyway, uh, just to let you know, uh, that's on Sunday. And then uh, if you would pray for Nick, Kiefer, Emma, Andrew, and there's two other teenagers that I cannot remember from last night, but uh, the Lord knows. And then, uh, of course, Mel's dad and pray for the Cooper family. Anybody else? Pardon? Grant and Maddie. That's it. Grant and Maddie. Thank you very much. Uh, so that's Nick, Kiefer, Emma, Andrew, Grant, and Maddie. Uh, they were ones we had conversation with about the gospel, and so just the Lord, the seeds being planted, just continue to to uh, pray for that. Uh, pray for what else do you, Brian? So the White family lost a 15-year-old, so pray for them if you would. Doc, uh, Doc Robinson texted uh, during the service. Please pray for uh, Bob's sister, actually, I guess uh, it was Gail that texted. Please pray for Bob's sister, Joy Stutzman. She's been moved to hospice and only has a few hours uh, to live, and they would appreciate your prayers. Anyone else?
So her dad, who has been battling lung cancer, if the lung cancer is spread to this spot on the, on the pancreas, they can treat that kind of cancer. If it's pancreatic cancer, they're basically saying it's untreatable and terminal. So they'll find out on Friday, Friday for sure. So uh, just uh, pray for Miss Christie's dad. Okay, break up into groups. And I'm sorry, was another? Don Herman out of surgery about three hours ago with knee replacement, so continue to pray for him. Break up into groups, and uh, then don't forget to pick up your kids before you leave.